10 until next Sunday. Some stuff I want to dig into more deeply and try to keep these a little shorter on the evenings. Um, So we're going to talk about um, something I've been studying and thinking about. Every year I pick a topic to dive into deeply in my spare time. Uh, So I'll, I'll usually read books around a theme. It's just one way to keep me from wandering too, too far. This year, though, I've been studying non-Christian theories of male sexuality. And that may seem weird to you, but there's a reason uh, behind it. And uh, the reason is that many men in this country, especially in the last several decades, are growing up without fathers. Their fathers aren't even, they're not there, or they're there and not involved. And young men want to know how to be men. And they're turning to these writers and they're turning to these influencers to understand what it means to be a man or be a man. Uh, now, sadly, the church does not teach on this that much. There are a few teachers out there that um, speak on this topic over and over again. Vadi Bakum's one of them or Vodi, how do you say his name? Uh, Tim Bailey, my former pastor, uh, would be one. Doug Wilson. Uh, there's some guys out there, some that are kind of kooky and some that are more solid. The ones I just listed, I would say, are solid guys. And I would commend to you uh, their, their writings. They're, they're helpful. But outside of that, um, there's not a lot out there. And those men aren't wildly read. I mean, there's a, people are starting to know those guys more, and that's great. But young men turn to, like, YouTube nowadays. YouTube has it's about 80% male in terms of – I mean, that's how I learned to tie a tie – to be honest. Um, I remember when I was coming down from my licensure at Calvary, or, uh, Woodruff Road, you know, you're under so much stress sometimes you forget something. And I was like, I can't remember how to tie a tie. I was just putting around my neck. So, of course, I bring up my phone and look at YouTube. I'm like, okay, it's uh, half Windsor. That's about as good as it's going to get. Um, so people want to know what it means uh, to be a man. We're, we're in a crisis of masculinity in our country right now. It's just a crisis. And there's so many different factors we could talk about, whether it's the fact that we drug boys for being boys with um, methylphenidate, right? Ritalin, Adderall, these sorts of things. Uh, boys are just more rambunctious when they're younger than girls are. Girls are a little more settled and they do much better in a classroom setting than boys do early on. Boys do catch up to that in time. Um, that's part of it. Uh, then uh, there's really just first through third wave feminism has destroyed the family. You know, that, that would be the biggest problem I would have with feminism. There's two problems. One is feminism is the hatred of femininity. It's what people don't realize. And two, that it's the hatred of, of the family. And if you read them, you'll know that. And so it's led to the absolute breakdown of the family. And mind you, when I say feminism, I don't, I'm not saying women. That it's an ideology, right? It's a mindset. It's a, it's a worldview of looking at things. I mean feminism. It could be men and women. Uh, it's not about hating women at all. Women are awesome. I, I married one. Um, but, um, but it's breaking down. In 1990, there's a, a, British, a British woman named Harriet Harman. She's uh, high up. I think in the Labor Party. Anyway, she wrote, It cannot be assumed that men are bound to be an asset to family life or that the presence of fathers and families is necessarily a means to social cohesion. Fathers, eh, you know, we don't really need them. They're not that important. And that's just foolishness. 
That's insanity. One reason we know it's foolishness is God's word says it's foolish. God's word has, has designed the family. God is the one that came up with male and female, father, mother, wife, or husband, wife. That's, those are all God's design right, way back in Genesis 1 through 3. But, um, but since it's true, we would, bear, we would expect that to, to be demonstrated in society through stats. And, and it is. Um, fathers like mothers are an indispensable part of God's design. And chaos ensues if they're removed from the family. So, for example, uh, this is from a book by a guy. His name escapes me right now. It's a book on mentorship. Because you've seen uh, in inner city ministry the lack of fathers. And he wanted to find a way to deal with it. But these stats are from there. Children from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides. 71% 71% of pregnant teenagers, 90% of all homeless and runaway teenagers, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 85% of all youth who exhibit behavior disorder, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of all adolescents in chemical abuse centers, 85% of all youth sitting in prison. So you remove fatherhood, everything starts to fall apart. Because family is the most basic um, component of society. It's the first component established back in Genesis 1. So the key to, and, our, and we're seeing this in our country, our, our country is, is falling apart right now. The whole West is in a, and I don't want to sound like some, I'm not a doomsday person or dystopian. I'm not what we call a dispensationalist. I don't, I'm not waiting for the rapture. I don't. I don't think there is a rapture. I do believe Jesus will come back. Um, but, uh, but our society is falling apart in, in major ways right now. It's uh, weird to be born at the, at the twilight of the greatness of America. And if you're in this room, you are. And so we're seeing it uh, happen right now. It's because of the breakdown of the family, because of the breakdown of fatherhood. So if we want to restore society, we have to restore Family, which means restoring fatherhood, and that means restoring biblical masculinity. And so these are the things I've been thinking about as I read what these guys are, uh, these non-Christians are saying. They're seeing these things. Just, they have, but it's not a Christian view. They're, they're able to say, like, here's the problem. This is what you find with non-Christians that are uh, honest. They're really good at identifying problems and absolutely horrible at identifying solutions. So the, the way they describe the problems that we're seeing right now are good. Their solutions, though, are, are poor. And, um, for example, there's a movie you can watch with your spouse. I wouldn't watch it with little kids. It's not that rough. But it's called The Red Pill. And um, it's about the men's rights uh, movement. I didn't know too much about it, but I stumbled upon, upon it. It's like growing. And the founder of it's a guy named Warren Farrell. And here's what he says. So he's all about men's rights and they're fighting back against feminism. So you think like they hate women. I don't think that's the case with some of their leaders, some of their followers. It definitely is. Um, He said there should be neither a woman's movement blaming men. Okay, that sounds good, right? We agree with that. Uh, Nor a men's movement blaming women. Cool. Sick of blame shifting and victims. But then he keeps talking. But a gender liberation movement. Freeing both sexes from the rigid roles of the past towards more flexible roles for the future. In other words, 
he's saying, uh, look, we don't need a men's rights movement or a woman's right movement. What we need is we need to move towards this flexibility. Things need to be fluid. And this is the push right now in our society. It's not toxic femininity or toxic masculinity. It's toxic androgyny. It's the removal of God-ordained natural distinctions for which you can't understand Scripture without them. You can't. It, it, it attacks the very heart of the gospel because at the heart of the gospel is the Father and the Son. Uh, that, that's, that's a big part of it. So these movements are attacking what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, and, and they're not going to fix the problem that we have now. So I want to just offer to you like two, two ideas. Two principles that, um, that I, I, for the most part, see playing out in our church. I'm really blessed by. But things that we need to give ourselves to and, and raise our sons and daughters up to believe. So the first thing is going to be from 2 Timothy 2.22. Turn there. Young men and women, but especially young men. This is an easy verse to memorize. It says 2-2-2-2 two, 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 with Timothy in the middle. 2 Timothy 2.22. And it says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And in there, we find a very helpful paradigm for young men, for a way of thinking about life. And there's two principles. The first is flee, and the second is pursue. And there, there are things you must avoid in this life. Things you must say no to. Things to flee. And at my former church, we called this God's no. The things that God says no to. Most churches will only tell you the things that God says yes to. They want to be positive. They want to be encouraging. Uh, No one wants to come to church and be told no. That's kind of a downer. Uh, Cedar, my cute little girl. uh, Just if I say no, Cedar, real softly. Just like, no, Cedar, don't don't drink that poison. That will kill you. Um, Starts crying, melting down. You know that's how we all are spiritually. We don't like being told no. So we need to have churches that tell men no. We need to know what not to do, the things to flee, and uh, that's important. But uh, beyond that, um, there are things you also must acquire. Things you need for development. Things to which you say yes. And we need churches with God's yes. We've got to be careful that we don't overcompensate, where uh, since we're always in these churches that never say no, never talk about the law. I mean, you always hear that when people come to a biblical church. Too much law, not enough grace, need more gospel. And that's because they've been in churches uh, with an unbalanced diet, where they've never been given God's, um, God's imperatives, right? There's the indicative, the gospel, from which everything comes out of in God's imperatives, his commands, the things you're supposed to do. And so a lot of times uh, people are coming from churches that only talk about grace. It's usually a cheap grace. They only talk about grace and not what the new life looks like. God doesn't just save us to stick us on a shelf. We're in some back room. God saves us and sends us out. Tells us, go and do these things. Remember, go and sin no more, even to the woman caught in adultery. So we don't want to be a church that just says God's no uh, in an overreaction going from one uh, ditch on one side of the road to the other ditch. We need to also tell people what they must acquire, the things to which you say yes. 
And I have found that books, ministries, and speakers tend to emphasize one over, one over the other. Uh, but they have to be paired together. And they have to. Um, so, for example, how this plays out is when I, uh, well, we've had some problems with video games in our home. With people getting addicted to them. Wanting to play them all the time. Nagging me it all the time. And so, now the answer is No. We have time set aside where you can do that, usually on Fridays and Saturdays for our portion of the day. Um, but it's important that you also teach kids what they're supposed to do. So I'm going to do something better, right? So Hudson's learning Python code right now. He built video games for other people to play. You know? But you have to tell them not just what to flee, but what to pursue. Right? Nature hates a vacuum. And we are where we're giving our children guidance in the way they ought to go. And the question, though, is uh, what are the things that men should flee and the things which they should pursue? And, you know, I can't give you an exhaustive list tonight, but I think the book of Proverbs is a good place to go. If you're wanting to know how to train up your sons to be godly men, live in Proverbs. If you're a parent, and there's a lot of them in this church, right? A lot of us are in the midst of this stage of raising up children. Believe it or not, it'll come to an end. So give it Give yourself to it right now, and you should live in Proverbs. You should be in there all the time. But uh, Because it's a book in which a father tells his son how to be a man. I mean, that's how the book opens. The first 14 chapters uh, has a uh, my son in each one of them. My son do this. My son. My son. A father pleading with his son on what sort of man he's supposed to be. And there's kind of a basic breakdown uh, is... First is flee foolishness and pursue wisdom. Throughout the whole book of Proverbs, it's calling young men to become wise. Get knowledge. It's worth gold. It's worth more than silver. Pursue it. And so are we watching what our kids are reading? Is it helpful? You know, don't, it's okay to enjoy yourself when you read a book. It's okay to be entertained. But are they, are they pursuing wisdom? Are they, are they learning how to change the oil? Are they learning the basics of business, right? Buy low, sell high. And the basic of budgets. Uh, if your input or your output exceeds your input, your upkeep becomes your downfall. That was the way it was taught to me in the church. In other words, if you spend more than is coming in, you're going to be broke. And you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, so are we teaching them just basic ways to understand the world? And what we're finding, if you know, and I know this, I've had lots of friends that are public school teachers. My mother's a public school teacher. Uh, but there's people that are coming out of high school, such as myself, and they don't even know how checking accounts work. I remember I, remember, I didn't know the difference between a ledger balance and like a real balance when I was like 18. Uh, like was that, So the ledger's like, this is what's in there and two things clear. But back then, I remember, if you remember this, or I don't know if you remember this, with debit cards, you used to run those things. And it would be like a week before it would come out of your account. And if you weren't actually tracking it, it could cause chaos. So I once bought a $300 V8 Splash because I ran it and I wasn't tracking my account properly because I was a fool. And it caused a, a series of things to bounce. And, you know, the banks love to hit you with those $35 fees or whatever it is. And suddenly, you know, I went and begged them, reverse some of them. You know, we can only reverse $170. So um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that good of a drink. 
Um, V8s are really, they're gross and they're not around anymore. Um, but are we teaching our kids to pursue wisdom, making them wise? These are practical things. Flee immoral gangs of men. That comes up over and over again in Proverbs. Boys run in packs. It's just normal. It's how boys are wired. Boys are, everyone always tells us that women are extremely um, relational. And, and that's true, but so are boys. Boys are all about establishing hierarchy. The reason boys like pick at each other and call each other's names, why they bully each other, is to kind of set like the pecking order in a group. This is how it works. Men have to remind women it's okay, he's going to be okay. He's got to learn to take some jabs or setting social order. That's how it works. And so men are attracted to gangs of men. And if you live in uh, neighborhoods where there's a lot of bad kids that are growing up pagan, you know this is like a real issue. You have to figure out how to interact with it. It's a hard one. We don't want to put our kids in some Christian bubble. We want them to be able to interact with the world. So it's, we're not sending them, most of us, I don't think any of us here are sending our kids to public schools and, and just letting them to marinate in the world. Uh, so I don't think that's a good idea, but I don't think it's a good idea not to let them interact with kids in the neighborhood. So it's a hard thing. We have to teach them how to be wise and stand on their own and become leaders. And so flee immoral gangs of men and pursue wise counselors and good friends. So flee that, pursue that. Uh, flee those who flatter you. That's another thing that comes up in Proverbs. People that are always telling you how awesome you are. Those are the ones that are going to put the knife in your back so gently. Uh, they're always flattering. They talk about how the smooth words are like knives. And surround yourself with friends that will wound you with the truth. Men that tell you things you don't want to hear. They're your friends, though. They help us get better. They help us grow. And, um, and we want those. Flee slothfulness. And pursue productivity. This is hard. We don't live on farms. We, we're rich. We're rich Americans. We don't have, you know, we have to make up things for our kids to go dig holes or something. To keep them busy. That, to, to keep them focused. To challenge them. Well, one reason I want to, I, I thought about owning a farm if I had the money to do it. Is just to keep my kids exhausted. You know. Like I had to. I had to go get eggs. I had to walk over there to get the eggs, and I had to go do this with the cows when I was a little kid. And, and, and it was hard. But teach them what it means to wake up early, go to bed late, to work hard. You want, you want men to be productive producers. Another one is flee immoral women that merely consume your resources. So immoral women in Scripture, or in Proverbs in particular, is associated with those that merely consume what you give them. They don't do anything with them. So it hinders your ability to build a home, which is the focus of the whole Old Testament, establishing a household, a home. And instead, pursue an industrial, industrious, excuse me, industrial, some of our women are almost industrial, <laughs> but industrious, capable woman that will multiply resources, establishing your home. Flee wickedness, pursue righteousness. I should add that, that right living isn't just about attitudes. It's about actions, not just motives, but motions. So we have to focus on these practicalities. This is what we need to teach our young men so they're not turning to Jordan Peterson. Andrew mentioned him in the sermon, but he's, 
people are going to talk about him for decades. He's just one of those guys that just popped onto the scene out of nowhere. And there's this cultural moment that we're having. And basically a whole generation looking for a dad. And Jordan Peterson in uh, like two years has become that guy. So unless there's some incredible flaming out, I don't think you're going to see that guy going away. But he's not a Christian. And his principles aren't Christian. And some of his ideas are and helpful. But these young men are turning to these guys. And there's some that are, are much worse a lot, of the, a lot of the people involved in the men's movement right now are Mormons, believe it or not, homosexuals. And I read this one book, and I was like, why does fatherhood not come up in this book? Why is he not talking about family? How can you have a book on manhood and not talk about fatherhood? And aspects of the book was good, and something just wasn't right. And I looked on the back of it, and I saw he had like a picture of him flexing right, with his big muscles. Guys, no, the guy shouldn't do that, okay? So I was like, oh, what's going on? So I Googled his name plus homosexual, and that, that was the case. He was. Um, so now you know what I think of you if you're posting your profile pic flexing. <laughs> Please don't, unless it's a joke. Um, but uh, these are the people that are having influence, and Christians are turning to them right now. And so will your kids. I don't know if it will be those exact men, but men like them in the future. If we're not filling them up, we have to fill them up. We have to tell them, no, yes, flee, pursue. That's bad. That leads to destruction. That's the fruit of the sin, of sin, of the fall. These are the things that God commands and by his spirit will strengthen you to do. It's very practical. It's also important to get across that you can be good at the responsibilities intrinsic to manhood and not be godly. This is a principle that gets me in trouble all the time, but it's true. So you can be good at the responsibilities intrinsic to manhood and not be godly. So in other words, you can be really good at producing resources, money, working hard. A man has to do that. You can be good at getting a capable woman. Maybe not godly, but a capable woman. You can be good at even raising children I've known a lot of pagans that at some level are really good parents, very much concerned about the development of their children, sitting down with them every night to go over homework, tracking with them. So those, those are good things, and that's part of being a father and being a man. Uh, those, and that should be present in all the godly men. And too often, instead of focusing on, the, on the, the activities that are intrinsic to manhood, we only focus on virtues, like be good, or, or the worst, be nice. And I'm not interested in anyone in this church being nice. Nice just means be agreeable. Be fair, be kind, be just, or don't be fair. Some people don't like that word either. But nice just means agreeable. We don't need more nice people. We need more godly people. Nice just means kind of roll with it. Um, you, however, can't be a godly man and fail in the responsibilities intrinsic to manhood. So you can be the nicest, sweetest, most polite guy, open all the doors for the ladies, do a lot of sort of stuff. But if you're, not, if you're not able to work hard and be productive, if you're not able um, to, to lead others and be successful, at least out there in the world, right? Adam's sent out into the field where Eve is based in the home. They each have kind of different HQs, headquarters that they work out of. If you can't, if you can't do that, you can't be godly because the commands attached to being a man are built around those activities. Does that make sense? took a while for me to uh, wrap my mind around this. So like Donald Trump 
is, is good at a lot of the activities that are associated with being, being a man. I think that's why some people like him. Now, he is not a virtuous man. There's no denying that. But he, he's made a lot of money. And you can say, well, he's filed a lot of bankruptcies. But that's even crazier. He's filed bankruptcies a bunch of times and still has a lot of money. You know, he's certainly able to um, get a spouse multiple times. Um, and he is the president of the United States. He was firing people on TV 10 years ago, and now he has enough nuclear weapons to blow up Mars, right? The guy is good at things associated, but he's not virtuous. But we have a lot of guys that are out there that are like good men, but they're not active. They're not, able, they're not doing anything in society, and that's allowing society to fall apart. What we need is those two things to come together. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. It's just teach our children to flee and pursue. Focus not just on attitudes, but activities, the things that we must do. We need to do that because that will lead to society, culture. We'll create things. We'll shape things as part of the creation mandate. Now, the second thing, and this, this uh, turned to Proverbs 31. The second thing I want to talk about. So the first, we're looking at the things, or a way of thinking about manhood. At least one way of thinking about it, one aspect of it. Now, I want to give you an aspect of thinking about um, womanhood, about femininity. And as I've got into these, these uh, pagan uh, doctrines or theories of male sexuality, a lot of them are very dismissive of women. They, they are misogynistic. They really are. A lot of times people that believe in biblical sexuality are accused of being misogynist. You know, people that hate women or resent them. Some of these guys are true misogynists. And they have a very low view of women. They see women. They, only, they think all women are like the, the wicked women in Proverbs that consume and tear down homes. They have it in their head that all women are like that. And, of course, we know that's not true. Even among non-Christians, not all women are, are destroyers of home automatically. Not even uh, among non-Christian men are all, all men kind of dogs, right? Predators that take advantage of people. That's just not true. And they have such a low view of women it's just disgusting. It is disgusting. And it's hard to read some of it. But uh, in Proverbs, the godly man is a producer. He produces. That's what he does. It's hard to respect a man who doesn't work. It's hard for a man to have self-respect if he doesn't work. If you've ever been unemployed as a man, I was once when we moved to Bloomington. Um, and I was trying to find a job. And it was, just, it was a really... The job markets work at the University of Indiana or, or work on medical devices or get paid like eight bucks an hour. And it was driving me insane trying to doing anything to get a job. And it was terrible. And I never wanted to get comfortable with this sitting around. And in our society, now we, we built a welfare state that encourages people not to be productive. At that time, there was 99 weeks of an unemployment. 99 weeks. You can not work. I think they're paying out like $1,100 a month for you not to work. They're paying you not to do things. You just have to send in like applications that prove. Um, so a godly man, though, is a producer. And a godly woman is a reproducer. Now, I don't mean that in a simple biological way. Although that is undoubtedly part of that. I don't know why it is controversial Nowadays, to say that one of the blessings of being a woman is the ability to reproduce children. They're called wombs. How is this deniable at this point? It's a simple fact. 
uh, that women, that's one of the things that make women so incredibly valuable. I was reading a non-Christian anthropologist, and she was talking about how all societies naturally despise effeminate men from a very young age, most societies. And the way they look at effeminate men is that they are women without a womb. So they bring nothing unique, nothing there's nothing different about them. They're, they're like men that they don't do men things, but they can't do women things either. either. And so across the whole society, the whole world, there's a despising of that. So women, part of the amazing thing of women is that they're nurturers. They're able to bring life into the world. So Paul makes a big deal about women being saved through childbearing, through their unique. It's not that the, the, the work of childbearing actually saves them, but it's part of God's sanctifying work in their life. They're saved just like men by faith and by faith alone. But there's something unique about that. But um, what I mean is a man provides the raw materials and the woman finishes or perfects them. A woman is a multiplier. That is her glory. She makes more. And the more she makes is better than what she was given. It's amazing. You bring home groceries. Your wife tells you to bring home these things. And you bring them home. And then it magically turns into a wonderful dish. But I didn't have to do anything. So I bring in these raw materials. And it turns into this wonderful meal. You give her a budget to, to make the home beautiful. And every time you come home, the house is more of a home. More of an atmosphere. In the marriage act, a man gives a woman very little, and she gives back to him children and a legacy. And it's amazing how women multiply things and make them better. And that's how men and women come together and, and make a, a home that explodes with productivity and fruitfulness. That's the teaching of Genesis chapter 1. All right, just let me go through this few points. Uh, now, Proverbs 31 What's Proverbs 31 about? It's about women's conference. It's the only thing you're allowed to teach at a ladies' retreat. You're not allowed to talk about any other part of the Bible because it apparently doesn't apply to it. Now, you go there, this is what they're going to talk about. This is, um, you know, like little grape vines on a pitcher with Proverbs 31 up on a wall. These are how we approach it. Well, it is definitely about women. And we often think it's only about godly women. It's not. It's also about ungodly women, and it's also about men. So you spend 30 chapters in Proverbs largely being, uh, having men taught or boys taught how to be men. 30 chapters. My son, my son, over and over again. Don't hang out with these guys. Don't, don't be around this sort of woman, the adulterous woman that destroys. She calls you into her home. There's two whole chapters dedicated to that topic. So 30 chapters. And then at the very end, you get the words of King Lemuel, who's probably Solomon. It's probably his mom's pet name for him. Not 100% sure, but that's probably what's going on. Um, and, and you're getting his mother's teaching, right? So his mom, so you've got 30 chapters of dad saying, be this sort of man. And then at the end, you get mom saying, this is a sort of woman you want to go after. It's, so fathers teach your children, but we need mothers to teach our children as well, teach our boys. Now, um, Verse 2, what, O my son, and what, O my son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows, do not give your strength to women 
or your ways to that which destroys kings. And I want to focus just on verse 3 for a moment. Do not give your strength to women. Matthew Henry, he goes on this. He's a famous Bible commentator. I, I recommend him. He says, give not thy strength unto women, unto strange women. He must not be soft and feminine, nor spend that time in a vain conversation with the ladies, which should be spent in getting knowledge and dispatching business, nor employ that wit, which is the strength of the soul, in courting and complimenting them, which he should employ about the affairs of his government. I love it. It's so practical. Stop chasing the girls. Build. Build, son. Work. Don't spend all this time chasing these bad women. I mean, that's good advice. A lot of us have had to tell our friends that. And then he says, especially shun all adultery, fornication, um, licentiousness, which wastes the strength of the body and bring it into dangerous disease. Give not thy ways, thy affections, thy conversation to, to that which destroys kings, which has destroyed many, which gave such a shock to the kingdom even of David himself in the matter of Uriah. Let the suffering of others be thy warnings. So here he's warning, don't go after those sorts of women. And what are those sorts of women? Well, it's Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. So foolish, ungodly women. Proverbs 31 then lays out this picture of the most competent, wonderful woman. The, the woman that magnifies her husband's glory. Like you look at that woman and you say, whoa, what's the man like? Because you think that woman's a gem. She's amazing. That's exactly what he says, right? He says in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. That's what I hate about many forms of patriarchy. They seem to think women are capable. This guy trusts this woman. He knows he can give her resources and she's going to be good with it. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and the works with her hands and is, or excuse me, and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maids. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Smiles at the future. That's beautiful. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly. But you have sell them all. That, that should go in some cards at some point, men. That's a good one to use. Skip Shakespeare and go with Solomon. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So that's, that's a biblical woman. She's a multiplier. 
So Proverbs 1 through 30, be this sort of man, the productive man. Give this to women, to godly women, to a godly woman that you make a wife, and it will make a home, make a legacy. I mean, listen to how they describe it. Now, let's circle back around just for a second to where we started. Um, so we have a culture that's lost its mind when it comes to sexuality and family and all that stuff. One way to evangelize that culture is to show them a godly Christian home, what it looks like, what a hardworking, productive, confident man looks like, what a um, competent and hardworking woman looks like, and the sort of atmosphere it brings when they come together. I mean, that will show the world the foolishness of feminism, the foolishness of the men's right activism. Sure, they might get some criticisms right here and there, but their solution is to deny the differences, to downplay them instead of embracing them. In the beginning, God made man in his image, male and female, he made them. And then he gave them his command to go out in the world and be fruitful and multiply. And God's doing that in our church right now. Children everywhere. We as, this, as a little church have an opportunity to minister to the, society, to the world around us, Spartanburg, simply by giving ourselves to, to the work of the home, to, to men being godly and working outside the home and bringing the, the product back. And so that's what I wanted to commend to you, those two things. Uh, flee and pursue. Teach your children what to flee and pursue. Men, think of that yourself. What are the things that you need to run from? And if you're going to run from them, where are you going to run to? And then also, women, think of yourself as multipliers that make a home or a house into a home. Make things beautiful and wonderful. And, uh, you know, my, when Emily married me, uh, I ate dinner on a box, I think. I had a chair. I was going to get a table eventually. Ben knows how it is. I've been. I saw. I've seen Ben at this stage at one point in his life. Um, this is the box. And then now, now my wife makes is making my home look more and more beautiful. She's raising my children, and uh, and it's a testimony. So what I want to do with pagans is bring them into my home. Let me evangelize you. Let me let me stew you in what a Christian home looks like for a little bit, and preach the gospel to you. Well, let's pray.